following presentation is released under the Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike Non-Commercial License. For more information about Creative Commons licensing, please visit www.creativecommons.org. This presentation also contains adult language and adult themes. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Alpha Geek Radio, coming to you live from Palm Springs, California, where Ted Hedster, hello, and I have been partaking or participating in the putting on of Ted Active 2011, and holy crap, we're tired. Yes, time for some innocuous liquids. Innocuous clear liquid has indeed made an emergency appearance right before airtime. I was not paying attention to where the music was, and yeah, I was a little concerned with the fact that the 24-7 server was out of commission, but hey, that's a whole other story. <sighs> other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how did you like the show? <laughs> it was a good conference. However, there was work to be done in quantity. But hey, that's what we came here to do, and that's what we achieved. That's what we do. That's how we're used, as Octel would say. Does what it says, says what it does. And what it says right now is, have a drink. <laughs> and Zephod Bebo rocks this is a very large drink. drink. Hi. Go, go. So anyway, there we were in Palm Springs. We were attempting to get together with Sakani earlier. But apparently Sakani's car had other plans for him. He was being recalcitrant, non-compliant. Yes. So see if we can rendezvous with him... Uh, around breakfast time or uh, later this evening. We do have a wind-down function to go to before too much awfully longer here. We want to throw some stuff on the air, though, because we promised we would. Yes, but that sounded very Freudian. Uh, you said wind-down, but I heard wine-down. Oh, well, I mean, wine will probably be one of the things there, but I prefer the faster path. Yeah. Where the beer flows like wine. Where uh, beautiful women instinctively flock f like the f um, swan of Capistrano. Okay. That's obscure even for me. That's from Dumb and Dumber. I've never seen Dumb and Dumber, nor do I wish to, actually. That one profoundly did not interest me. Though, on that topic, since we're doing Alpha Geek Radio, what uh, what's the geekiest movie you've seen recently? Or maybe not a, maybe not a huge moviegoer, but... Nerd cred, what have you seen lately? The geekiest movie I've seen recently it would probably be Iron Man 2, which is a bit of a letdown. It was yeah. okay, but Iron Man 1 dwarfed it. It did. Uh, I was happy to see they kept a lot of the story elements intact from the comic. So, Rhodey putting on the armor, creating, you know... The, the Tony being a drunk. Tony being a... They, they hinted at that. Um, you saw, if you looked closely, you saw the beginnings of Captain America's shield. Yeah! That was pretty funny. And the and the very end was an obvious reference to the Thor movie. Well, it's not a reference. No, it, sorry, not... Yeah, yeah. Thor, right. Yeah. No, it wasn't a, just a reference. It was a setup for... <laughs> Here's this other movie we're working on. Yeah, it's all uh, all the um, 
all the setup for the Avengers. Right. Well, I mean, we have this year Captain America, the first Avenger uh, film coming. We have Thor. They better not screw up Captain America. All indications are uh, that they're doing a really good job. Um, of course, the, you know it's set in World War II time frame, so it is the origin story, and the villain is the Red Skull, and the makeup for the Red Skull looks impressive as hell. Wow. And the costume is not all that costumey. Is he going to look like a soldier, basically? He's wearing a, a modified flight leathers, it looks like. It looks like a job someone would, would have done in the field to take the regular turnout gear and you know, paint it and, and give it the, the this guy's our hero stuff, but it's not you know this beautiful, clean-cut costume I am a superhero. Yeah, with the, all the um, ripped abs built into the costume, right. the codpiece, you know, hero stuff. Thor, on the other hand, gets a codpiece, at least for the, for the Asgard portions of the movie. He's a god. Are, yeah. we, are they going to do the lame Dr. Uh, Blake, was it? No, he's, he's merely exiled to Earth as himself. So he's Mr. Buff Nordic. Hello there. <laughs> Fabio material. You, you live around here often? <laughs> Bathe her and bring her to me. Uh, but he is basically cast to Earth uh, because of his arrogance and with a little help from Loki, of course. Um, hey, did you ever read the Thor comic where they're trying to, um, they're, they're competing uh, against Surtur, or wait, no, Ymir, the uh, ice god, right, ice giant, and uh, um, they're, they're going with their father, Odin, and Thor says, for Asgard, and Loki, Loki says, for me! Exactly. That's, that's very much in keeping with the character. And there's even little flashes in the previews we've seen of, of you remember Loki's costume with the big the horns, thing? yeah. And they they have uh, at least some scenes where he's basically wearing that. Yeah. So it's like, all right. But yeah, the hammer, the Uru hammer. I actually think the um, Mjolnir. The um, I think the recent comic book representations of Loki and his motivation have actually been um, reasonably well written. I mean, yeah, the guy's an egomaniac, but. Um, they play out storylines that are believable when you're, you know, an egomaniac. He's an egomaniac, but also he got profoundly the short end of the stick and really, really messed up home life. Um, <laughs> well, he's half frost giant, for Christ's sake, in, in a place where... Dad always liked you best. Yeah, that kind of thing. And Thor is literally the golden boy. I mean, come on. Yeah. But we digress. Oh, yeah. Ted conference. No, we're not here to only talk about This is Alpha Geek Radio. Going off on a geeky tangent like that is almost required. Okay, well, I don't appreciate that because I'm not an often enough participant. I mean, I don't do Alpha Geek Radio nearly as often as I would like to. I want to try and make this a Friday night thing. Um, and in its purest form, Alpha Geek Radio is a variety show where I just feature nerdy music. Well, kind of like Sonny and Cher had a variety show in the 70s? Not even slightly like Sonny and Cher. Uh, how about the Brady Bunch variety show? No, no. If you, Evil if, Jan. If you keep going down this road, I am going to throw you to the ground and kneel on your windpipe. Do you mean remember the Hudson Brothers comedy hour? All right, that's it. <laughs> I'm serious. Don't do not make me kill you. Okay, maybe these were not the best representations of our American culture, but the '70s was a big mistake. Oh God. I would say go look at the video, but no, I'm not that mean. Do you remember one of the speakers here uh, the, today at the TED Talks? It was a it was a uh, high school no a grammar school teacher. Yes, 
and he gave a great talk about how he um, uh, simulates internet the, the the world international relations. But he talked about becoming a teacher, and he didn't want to be a teacher, so um, he went to a job interview, uh, and he made a mild concession. He got a three-piece suit, okay, but it was 1977, and he had a big beard. And he didn't shave, and a big—he was a black man. He had a big afro, um, and uh, he still got the job. And he thought for sure that he, he would, would not. not. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, he was, he was a really good presenter. He was the one who was he was, he was having nine year olds read Sun Tzu's Art of Art War. Art of War, and, and they, they got, got it. it like on a profound level. Yeah, uh, yeah. I hope that one makes it to the web quickly. Yeah. Usually, usually what I do after the the TED conferences is, as the ones I really have fond memories of come up, I stick them on VTW Productions. Yeah, we that was a really great representation that we grown-ups in our arrogance think that uh, oh, people younger than that. us could never understand some things, and we're just plain wrong. Yeah, quite often we are. That's a recurring theme that gets a lot of uh, a lot of love from the audience. Here is don't disrespect or undervalue children, um, and there's a lot of concern. And I think a very justified concern in the the kinds of people who come to a TED conference that the educational system in the United States is not in a happy place and needs some severe love uh, before it expires. So whenever someone comes on talking about uh, valuing children and trying to improve education, um, they get a lot of a lot of love in, from the crowds here. Now, and they rolled out TED Ed this year. Which is that's uh, a big question mark. This is a great opportunity, but uh, how exactly is that going to work? Yeah, what does that mean to have you know, an educational branch of TED? Right. Another thing that speaker uh, uh, alluded or said several times, and, and I, I really liked it, although it was humbling, is he apologized to his nine-year-old what fourth graders? I mm-hmm. think that is. He apologized to them repeatedly. Said, "I am very sorry that people my age." Are handing you the world in the condition we, it's in. in. The condition it's in. Um, and he also said, "I apologize. I don't have the solution for you. You're going to have to." He said, well, "You're going to have to fix the problems people my age have created." And um, I thought that was humbling, insightful, and genuine all at the same time. Yeah, he was one of those those good combinations of speaker who had a very powerful message knew deeply what he was talking about and was a very, very good presenter. As we, we observed a little bit before, that we've had people here who had some of those, but not all of those. And what makes a really good TED Talk is somebody who kind of bangs on all cylinders, who has a good message that they are deeply passionate about and has the skills to deliver it to a room. Yeah, didn't the guy that opened that session uh, before him, he was knowledgeable, but I didn't think he was a compelling speaker. He's certainly not as compelling as this gentleman was. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then following up after him was um, Ebert from Siskel and Ebert? From Ebert and Roper, or Siskel and Ebert and Ebert and Robert, Roper later, because Siskel I don't follow, away. I don't follow those guys, the, the latter. But, um, he, so he had uh, cancer. Salivary gland cancer. And he ended up having all of his mandible removed, ultimately. Mm-hmm. They tried to replace it from... Um, Graphs from other parts of his body, like three or six times. Yeah, and his um, his carotid artery, was, yeah, his carotid, carotid artery kept on kept bursting, and almost ending his life. So, um, so he has no mandible at this point. He's alive, 
his uh, carotid artery apparently is at risk, so they're not. I presume they're not attempting that anymore after like you can, several failed attempts. You can live and have a slack jaw and not be able to speak, or you can die. Yeah. So, so he, he says, "Life, please." Yeah. So he can't. Um, he has no jaw. He cannot close his mouth, and he made he made a point in his speech of saying, "If you cannot hold your breath, you cannot articulate, you know, words. You, you cannot speak. You, you can't seal the system. You can't seal the system." Uh, and that was kind of interesting to observe. So. Um, he uh, he did his presentation through a voice synthesis on the computer. That was one aspect, and also then had um, he said people tire of that very quickly. So he, then he had three other people, his wife and two uh, other attendees, um, read parts that he had prepared. Right, and um, I sort of scratched my head, thinking, you know, this guy's a movie critic. You know, what, what's a movie critic going to talk to us about? Mm-hmm. And while his wasn't the most impactful. Um, uh, I, I judged too quickly, and he actually gave a good talk. He gave a very good talk, and there was an interesting technology bit in there because he had talked about just using the, the built-in uh, text-to-speech tools on Mac OS, which are pretty darn good. Um, but he had worked with a company out of Scotland to who went back through the copious amounts of voice samples because he's been a television personality for decades and built him his own voice back in the text-to-speech tool. And he presented part of his speech using this tool and it, it sounded pretty much like him yes but um i mean it's like they they took recordings of the words and mm-hmm. stitched them together mm-hmm. and um the inflections from the original speeches are still in there are still in there and it may and not they, be appropriate to what he's saying right, now and it didn't map well to the things that he was saying then so um you know like you know, English doesn't have a lot of tones, but it does have at least one tone. It's got it's got the question tone. Uh-huh. You know, you know, you, uh-huh. you are very tall. You are very tall. You know, so we get the rising tone, and you could detect some of the rising tones and some mm-hmm. things. Uh, thank God it wasn't you know Chinese, which has five to nine tones depending on what dialect you're speaking. But God, um, you. yeah, he had some interesting this, things to say. Uh, his wife is there. And she was reading one of the three parts that he uh, delegated, and she she got very emotional during it, and that was interesting. Mm-hmm. To, so you, maybe you shouldn't have had me read this part, dear. Yeah, yeah, and, and she did a little bit of editorializing because <laughs> he he, um, he mentioned some unglamorous aspects of his life now. For, you know, humans instinctively don't want to look at a sick or injured person. People avoid eye contact with me. And she was reading this part, and, and she started to come to tears, and she started to disagree with what she was reading at mm-hmm. moments. And there was a lot of hand-holding happening. Literally, she was squeezing his hand. Yeah. It was, it was very heartfelt. It was extremely heartfelt and, and a little bit difficult to watch, but he was obviously really wanted to, to present this. When we say he presented, he basically sat there because he can't speak anymore. Yes, but he used body language. A and great deal. A great deal. And it added very much. And, and a linguist will tell you that um, words contribute to what? Something like 10 to 20% of the information conveyed. And 80% of the rest of it is um, nonverbal. Eye contact, body posture. You still and, had all that. And, yeah, <laughs> he, he opened his eyes uh, you know, wider or narrower. Nodding, he did a lot audience, of pointing, gesture, gesturing. Shrugging. Uh, but also he, he observed that the Internet 
his ability to a shift. great equalizer. A great equalizer because they don't know you don't have a mandible. <laughs> People don't know you're a dog on the yeah, internet. Exactly. And he was saying that this basically saved my sanity because I could continue to be what I've always been, a movie reviewer. I just can't present on television anymore. But I have a thriving web presence, and you can find me on the web at the following location. Yeah, and he also referred to other people who had, um, he said disabled people, and I'm going to I'm gonna disagree with him because there is a movie, um, oh, crud, what was it? It was a documentary about a, a young lad in a wheelchair uh, going across the country. It was another TED Talk. But anyhow, he said, I'm not a disabled person. I'm a person with a disability. So Ebert is, he's not a disabled person. He's a person with a, disa- dis- with a disability. Um, but he made reference to another guy. He says, one of my, good, my, my new good friends is a guy who calls himself, what was it, the smart-ass cripple? Uh, I don't remember. It, it was, but I can't remember exactly. But he used the word cripple, mm-hmm. and he, it, was, it was something akin to smart-ass cripple. He said, go to his site. He will make you laugh. He is hysterical. <laughs> awesome. Um, so he's connected with people with you know additional disabilities. Your pants are ringing. Uh, speaking of the power of uh, telecommunications and the internet, my ass is vibrating. Ooh, hey, here's a roll of quarters, kid. Page my pants. But I digress and diverge and occasionally divest. Bless you. Ah, so we did the the great teardown. Uh, we we built up a wonderful, stable, high speed data network. Actually, a couple of different data networks here for TED Active. And it's this, this whole commentary on on the impermanence of humanity. I think is you know is what we build here. We build these lovely, thriving data networks that last for a few days, and then are gone. Well, elements of this weren't the purtiest. No. Uh, this is, this Where we had two uh, uh, you know, Apple Airport Extremes. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were slightly different hardware revs, but they were supposed to be basically identical um, hardware as far as the software is concer- concerned. Yeah. And we got SNM- SNMP data out of one, and the other one gave us the finger. I said, no, no, I no talk to you. Pissed us off. <laughs> well, hey, we had a good 50 megabit... Uh, connection where we needed it yeah but the, uh, we were um, we were, would have liked to have uh, extracted various data like um, how many errors what the data rate was and we just couldn't get it out of that specific box next year oh next year just you wait it was never off <laughs> Will Wheaton <laughs> oh Will Wheaton it was never off <laughs> Wheaton so those of you who watch The Big Bang Theory know what we're emulating. I think it's pretty much all of them. <laughs> Here's a certain demographic we attract with this uh, versus the world productions. Wait a minute. Are you saying some of your audience are geeky? You think? Well, I thought I was only geek. What is... Don't make me come over there. Ow, my eye. Don't poke me. <sighs> so anyway, since we last spoke to them, we had two days or so of a uh, day and a half worth of presentations. Anything else leaping out at you from... Uh... Yeah, but let me go grab my... Um, your reminder tool. Yeah. The program. Yeah, don't forget to take your headphones off, because that would be ugly. I am talking. Give me a, I'm the one who does this every week. You come out once a year, okay? I will give the instructions. Thank you very much. That would be my loving brother, Ted Hedster, and I am Gnome Wise, and you are listening to 
Alpha Geek Radio, special TED Active 2011 edition, coming to you from sunny, and finally it did in fact get sunny, Palm Springs, California, and we will be packing it up and hitting the road tomorrow morning, but we thought we would throw a little more radio to you this evening before we pack up all this gear as well. Let's see, ah yes, we had General Stanley McChrystal present today. Um... I got to see this one coming and going because I was being pulled over, pulled aside a lot to uh, take care of various brewing IT crises. Uh, but speaking of someone who can really work a room and present in an impactful way, uh, that would be this guy. And told uh, a good story about the generation divide, the digital generation divide in the armed forces. And well, not just the armed forces, but also uh, civilians who participate and support the armed forces too. Right. And some of the challenges of the old guard, who doesn't understand. I mean, they literally become management. You get promoted. You know, you become a major, lieutenant colonel, colonel, and a, then the four generals. And the work you did to get promoted there largely doesn't exist anymore. People are now doing technology and social networking and instant messaging and email and you're their leader but do you have credibility in their eyes because you've never done any of the stuff that they have to do to get their job done now mm-hmm. and uh, that causes problems you know, he, wow he said my... he had to allow himself to be taught and at the same time lead and uh it was interesting um he i I didn't think his talk was so compelling. I thought it was sincere. I didn't think he had a strong message, but I thought he had a very realistic experience. Yeah, and he, and he was a good storyteller. He was a decent storyteller, yeah. He started off with a really scratchy voice. Thank God it got better. He, yeah. First thing he said was, excuse me for my voice. I'm like, oh, my God, this is going to be torturous. Yeah, it sounded like he had laryngitis, but it did improve rapidly, thankfully. because It was good because he had, again, good stories to tell. Was well rehearsed, obviously, but also was, was quite used to to standing up and talking in front of large groups. Yeah, yeah. There are a few generals out there that are simultaneously PhDs. John Hunter was the uh, John Hunter teacher was the we teacher. Yeah, he, he was a Sun Tzu to uh, nine year olds. Yeah, the art of war. And he had he had videos of kids talking about. And I really understand what Sun Tzu because they were doing war simulations. Right. Some people were in charge of the army in the mm-hmm. in the law, and uh, I'm sorry, in their simulation and. Um, some of them said, you know, when I go out and I win a battle, I want to fight again next week. And when I lose a battle, I, I want to go again. fight again next week. I want to win. Because I want to win. And that's exactly what Sun Tzu said in The Art of War. Yeah. Um, what else do we have? I just thought of one. It's already... already. Well, page through the book. It'll I jog am, your memory. Something that didn't come from the book. Computational neuroscience. Dinosaur Digger. He was a good one. Jack Horner. Was the he's the guy that taught us that chickens are dinosaurs? He said, "No, the sixth graders say we have to fix the chicken." He but, said, "You know, we're the people who classify things, and we classify chickens as dinosaurs. Avian dinosaurs. So therefore, they're, they're dinosaurs." <laughs> yeah, but the sixth graders aren't buying it. He, 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 sixth he, graders want a cool dinosaur, and chickens are not cool. cool. We need to fix the chicken. Uh, he was the real paleontologist that the Dr. Alex Grant character from Jurassic Park was based on. Um, and he really not that loosely based. He was he was not far off from the character. Genes. Yep. 
presentation and level of passion and interest. But he's talking about, you know, he did the talk about how do we recreate a dinosaur today. And Wait a minute, I just noticed something. Little Jack Horner sat in a corner. Yeah. This guy's name is Jack Horner. Exactly. That's like naming somebody Donald Duck. Or Dick Trickle, but anyway. Um, we know a Tom Collins. Yes, we do know a Tom Collins. Shout out to Tom. How you doing, man? Dude. Uh, Dude. The... So he did a little talk. He talks about what they what they showed in Jurassic Park. He said, you know, if you find yourself a blood-sucking insect trapped in amber and you pull material out of it and you replicate it and clone it, you'll wind up with a room full of mosquitoes. That was great. <laughs> that was <awesome. laughs> they talked about their actual attempts to you know, extract soft tissue from fossils, and they did, they did get a lot of really neat stuff. They got blood vessels after they etched away all the minerals. And they got uh, blood uh, Some, parts of blood cells, right? But, but no, no DNA. DNA. So we have to purchase from a different direction because we we still have dinosaurs. They're we, chickens. We just, we just call them birds. Yes. We, we, paleontologists, the people who classify these things, call them avian dinosaurs. Avian dinosaurs. So right. they're avian dinosaurs, because we are the, the ones who We decide. Yeah, we <laughs> decide that. But the sixth graders aren't buying that. So it talks about doing uh, gene therapy to activate uh, inactive genes and repress active genes to modify the chicken. Because it talks about the embryonic development of the chickens. and says, you know, during the Chickens embryo- look like dinosaurs up embryo. to a threshold. Yeah. Just like you see the different variant stages the human embryo goes through. We've got a tail in there at one point. And, and that is just the normal, you know, the, how, how DNA works is all the stuff from your ancestors are in there to a varying degree. It's a matter of whether they're suppressed or active. One of the things he didn't mention that I thought he could was um, the very serious attempts um, on frozen woolly mammoth DNA which is comparatively intact, right. there's a serious scientific attempt to clone cl- uh, clone a woolly mammoth and uh, uh, gestate it in an elephant's you know, uterus. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, while they're not dinosaurs, he mentioned they're it. not so far off that era. Yeah. So that was, that was another fun one who, who was very obviously passionate about, passionate about his topic and presented well and was right. a lot of fun. Now, Jason Mraz... Um, yeah, he, I thought his music was very good. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was delicious that he he referred to his biggest pop hit. Yeah. He says, I've performed this song probably 4,000 times. He opened with it. Um, and uh, But then he, he did a, 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 a selection of other songs that are not pop hits. Mm-hmm. One of them was, I can't believe you fucking did it. Yep, you fucking did it. I think he started off by saying, I'm sorry, Mom. (laughs) I know he said during the show. (laughs) He's like, fucking did it. Sorry, Mom. (laughs) Sorry, Mom. But yeah, that was a repeating uh, lyric is, I can't believe you fucking did it. Yep, you fucking did it. And yes, I did play the adult warning before this show. Yeah. But uh, it was a fun, delicious, uh, uh, lyrical song. No, it was a great song. It was fun. Um, Sarah Kay. Who is so a, I talked to Reeves about her. Reeves, the poet Reeves, who is our one of our masters of ceremony here. I've been in Manhattan. I've been at the um, Poetry Slam Club where she and he have performed. I have. She been started there. around age fourteen. Yeah, I, I, but um, he encountered her when she was about sixteen or so because he moved from L.A. to Manhattan. Okay, but uh, so Sarah Kay is a spoken word. Poet, performer, founder of Project Voice, teaching poetry and self-expression at schools across the U.S. And um, she got my attention. Yeah. She, um, she's 22-ish now. She's 22, and her poetry um, was captivating. Yeah. 
It doesn't hurt that she's smashingly attractive. She is smashingly attractive, and you know, she got over her, her obvious butterflies pretty quickly in her early in her talk. Yeah. But um, between Reeves and Sarah Kay, I, I sort of wonder to myself, maybe there's something to the spoken word this poetry. poetry thing. Yeah. Yeah, it's something that, that is a devalued currency in our in most uh, parts of our culture. Uh, Kate Hartman. Didn't see her. <laughs> ah. <laughs> Dr. Seuss has been reincarnated Oh, that's right. She has some kind a of weird-ass clothing gal. She is artist and technologist. Uh, creates devices and interfaces for humans, houseplants, and glaciers. So she's got... She had a glacier-hugging clothing. It's, it's human-glacier relations. She's trying to improve human-glacier relations. Oh, my God. That was weird. So, oh, she, she's very weird, but really fun. And the, the stuff she came up with, uh, like the disc communicator, was basically okay. this, this cylinder that, that two people put between them. And they, you put your mouth in either end of it, and it's for arguing, where you can just both shout your arguments at each other at the same time. Because... You're not going to listen to the other person anyway, so you might as well just have it be a burst of complete non-communication. Well, that's not discourse. Um, she had one, another one, which was the the earful. Which basically, you walk up and you form a cone from the hat the person's wearing, which gives a cone for you to stick your face into to talk directly into their ear. And these things look like they're straight out of a Dr. Seuss book, uh, but she was a fun presenter. And very obviously not afraid to go in public and do wacky things. She had one that was her... Sounds like Seussical, the musical. A bit. She had the portable wall. So she wore it like a backpack and could stop and unfold a whole section of wall behind herself. That's kind of funny because that kind of sounds like the Rockettes for the... um, Let's see. There was a retired... Reconstructive uh, surgeon. uh, Well, like a reconstructive slash plastic surgeon. (laughs) And she made... All these clever um, costumes, costumes for her daughter for Halloween, using her skills from reconstructive surgery a lot of the time. Right, and so her daughter wanted to be the Rockettes, so she was in the middle, and she had two dolls, dolls, life size dolls on both co- sides of her, attached to her legs and arms with poles. Yeah. And it looked great. It yeah. was awesome. I th- although I thought the candy corn uh, costume was even better. The very first one, yet. yeah, yeah. Um, that was an interesting one because she, she kept on cutting from graphic pictures of the reconstructive surgeries she has done uh, pulling no yeah, punches like, yeah like upsetting photographs yeah. of people's disfigurement and and well most of them had a happy ending because you show the disfigurement and then the repair so you at least have the happy story of, oh god oh, oh but they fixed it okay but still you have this dichotomy of horrifying picture cute child in halloween costume and horrifying picture and cute child in horrifying oh god so i was kind of glad when that one was over Thank God that was only a three-minute yeah, talk. Yeah, that was a short talk. Um, don't remember anything about him. Ah, yes. Anthony Atala. He printed a kidney. They were using 3D rapid prototyping printing technology to print human organs in the form of what they've, what they've learned to do is print the superstructure. They print like the connective tissue? Mm-hmm. And then seed it with stem cells. And the stem but, cells work on the scaffolding. Right. They have the support and they can build. They've been building bladders for over a decade. Yeah. Apparently bladders are easy. They're kind of like God's version of snakes. Yes. You know, from uh, the far side. Right. These are easy. Just roll out the, the Play-Doh. But they had a, a, a young man come on stage who 10 years ago had had 
uh, a bladder replaced from one that was fabricated. So was it a bladder? I thought it yeah. was a kidney. But he was a bladder. He was one of the early ones. He said something about dialysis. I think you're wrong. The one, the organ that they mentioned replacing was the bladder. Okay. Um, if the bladder was having issues, I, was, I suppose it could back up into the kidneys and make them useless. So if the kidneys aren't able to empty into the bladder, you okay. die. So, but anyway, anyhow, he, he got a he got an inkjet printed organ for God's sakes. Well, the, yeah, inkjet printed and then grown in an oven in a lab for a certain number of days and then implanted into him and a new lease on life. It's but but one of the points they mentioned was that um, hollow organs like you know the like bladders are are doable. But they said, uh, yeah, about those solid organs, like livers, we don't do those so well. We're, we're working on it. We're working on it. Um, Not as smart as we thought we were. Well, one of the interesting things that they did talk about doing, though, is taking a liver, an extant liver, and washing all the cells out of it. Leaving only the connective tissue. And, and most importantly, and the, vessels. the blood vessel tracts. Yeah. And then you can do the same trick of seed it with... Now, the liver in particular is one of those things that likes to regrow itself. So it's a perfect candidate for... We'll, we'll seed it with stem cells or liver cells, and they will grow onto this framework. See, the liver is actually a tricky organ. I remember seeing something where um, they know how to keep a head alive. Like if you cut somebody's head off, but you hook up like a dialysis machine and artificial heart, heart lungs, lung machine. heart lung machine... If they can keep it alive for a while, uh, this is a grotesque but maybe scientifically accurate observation, but they don't know how to add the functions of the liver to it. Liver does a lot of stuff for you. Liver is way important. Yeah. Which is why maybe we should not be hitting the obnoxious clear liquid quite that hard. The liver is evil and must be punished. <laughs> yeah, we're in pretty good denial about our livers. Oh, well, it'll... Uh, let's see. Christina... Lampe Olrund. Didn't see her. Uh, she was, uh, works with uh, the high-capacity uh, gel pack batteries that are the... Oh, yeah, I, I did see her. I didn't think her talk was... Not that moving. I mean, it's important because... Hey, look at all these batteries. If you plug them together, you can make a car. Yeah, and big batteries. And you make big batteries out of small batteries. Exactly. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's uh, great. I mean, it's important because battery technology leaping ahead the way it has in recent years has led to... Things like the, the usable electric car. Yeah, but I think it's more interesting that nanotechnology is making uh, battery technology have, have much higher energy densities. Yeah. She didn't touch on that so much. But she did touch on a, an interesting concept of you bring your electric vehicle home with you know, more than half a charge in the cells. And the system works in such a way that you plug it in, it doesn't charge it feeds that power back into the grid in the house, which brings down the load on the citywide grid. And if you get enough people doing that, this whole, we have to build an infrastructure that can handle these huge peaks when everybody gets home at night and turns on their oven and turns on their TV. And, oh, God, we have to provide power. So we over-engineer our power grid and, gen and power generation to serve these small peaks and maybe say, hey, we've got this power driving around the city now. Let's use that and then program the cars to charge themselves in the wee hours of the morning when no one's using their oven. Maybe things will work better on the bigger scheme. And I'd rather sheepishly admit um, I kind of missed that point. Yeah, that was uh, that was in there. That, that was actually her big point was the we deploy plug our cars we, in at peak energy usage. And use the battery or just 
plug in our, our battery-powered anything. To use them as capacitors to smooth out the load. Precisely. Yeah. And then at 3 idea. in the morning, when nobody's doing shit, recharge, recharge the car. Okay, so Gnomewise is paging through the, yeah. the the guide that somebody stole from my workstation, so I had to go and get another one. Let's see. Biomedical hmm. engineer. Yeah, pass. Juan Enriquez, so he was a curator. He's a futurist. He's been in TED several times. Um... I don't find him so compelling. I don't doubt that he's a smart guy, but he's never talked about stuff that really got my attention. Yeah, he's he's a, a, ge- a profound generalist. But uh, so they did something a little different this Ted. Um, instead of having uh, just Chris Anderson and June, I don't remember June's last. Co- June Cohen mm-hmm. might be Jewish, just slightly. You think? Um, you look up Jewish stereotype on the in Wikipedia, and there's a big picture of her. Yeah, in a good way. Um, so in previous TEDs, uh, they were the only people who um, hosted, you know, master ceremonies or emceed the sessions. And they're also in charge of choosing the presenters in their segments. But um, this time they did something a little different. They allowed two people to be guest, what they call curators. And, and they're in charge was, of arranging their entire segment and presenting it. Right. So Juan Enriquez was a, uh, uh, an oftentimes... Uh, presenter, and he curated a whole session of uh, four major speakers and a small number of minor speakers. And they let another person curate a session, but I cannot say his name, so I, I will leave it to Gnomewise to say who that was. Uncle Bill. Bill Gates, frequent presenter at TED. Um, in the last few years, he has become so. He was he's conspicuously he's in- absent since the uh, inception of uh, uh, TED back in eighty. I believe it was. He's, he's full on into, I'm no longer CEO, I am in now in philanthropist mode. So I go around the world spending my large amounts of money trying to make the world a better place. You may have heard of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Yeah, they're into lots of stuff. Yeah. And education's one of them. And uh, I actually acknowledge that he's actually done some good work there. Um He's done a lot of research into, you know, what is innovative, effective education. And one of the observations he made is that, uh, hey, a lot of this stuff don't work. And one of the things he said was, uh, you know, a lot of this stuff doesn't work, but we found one program that is actually reproducible, and that was the KIPP project. And Knowledge is Power Program, I think it is, K-I-P-P. Um, so I've kind of looked into them, see what they're doing, but... Um, yeah, education's a biggie with me. Yeah, well, did you see the Khan Academy presentation? I missed it, and I've been informed that that was the wrong presentation to miss. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one coming out on the web. Oops, right, we, we've, we've over-talked our bed music. God damn us. Let's see here. Is it rolling into something piratey? Yar, no. Um, dejected R. Dejected R. R. Quizzical R. Let's just come right on back to music here. You never heard that. This is wrong, wrong tool. tool. Never, never use, use that. It. No. Zatras. Zatras. Small, subtle intonation. Zatras. 
Zathras. <sighs> Let's see. Ah, oh, he was an interesting one. Harvey Feinberg. Talking about unintended consequences. Looking forward to the inevitable genetic modifications. And he had started his talk with, okay, if you could have one of these things. Greater lifespan or... Immunity to in, diabetes. Immunity to illness or increased memory or increased uh, mental processing speed. You know, w which of these would you have? And, and then proceed to talk about, okay, and here's all the possible downsides of what might happen if we start tampering with these things. And it, w it wasn't a let's not do this theme. It was a when we do this, let's be careful. What's going to happen? Yeah. And we should be prepared for these possible unintended consequences. It was akin to um, when you consider the, the assumptions the Social Security Act uh, created. You know, we assumed people would live to be about this age. Okay. And then medical advances leapfrogged. You know what the uh, the actuaries presumed about the average lifespan of people in the United States are? Blew it right out of the water, <laughs> right? And and shot out of the water what the actuaries thought um, you know people lived to be, and they're like, oh crap, people are living longer. Well, we don't have the money for that. Yeah, uh, it was it was a good a good talk. Uh, wasn't you know a wham talk or you know, emotionally grinding talk, but definitely held the attention and made some very good points. And it made you stop and think about. Yeah. Do we necessarily want to charge forward with all these possible things at the same yeah. time? Right. Just because we can do something is not the same saying we should Which do is something. A, a line straight out of Jurassic Park. Yeah. All your scientists were so obsessed with the fact that they could, and not one of them ever stopped to, to think if they should. Well, Jeff I mean, yes, that's maybe Jeff Goldblum, but that's, uh, that's probably recycling the principles of the Manhattan Project when uh, they created the atomic bomb and they said, okay, we need to do this, you know, because we needed to win the war. And then, then they had buyer's remorse of, oh, we've, 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 cut, we've, we've let we've this done. loose on the world. The, the genie's out of the bottle. Yeah, and, and, and you, just, you can't go back to a world that doesn't have nuclear weapons at that point because now everyone is going to figure, now they know it can be done, they're going to go figure out how to do it. And, I mean, what's, what's the, one of the favorite tools of the you-should-fear-terrorist type people? What's the, what if they get a nuclear bomb or... Or even a dirty bomb. Or even a dirty bomb, which is, you know, doesn't instantly vaporize large quantities of people, but still uh, sickens them and kills them slowly and horribly. So, yeah. But that's all directly descended from the Manhattan Project because they did it, and now we've got it. And here we be. So yeah, law of unintended consequences. Yes, we won the war. And lost. Wait, I thought it was we won the battle but lost the war. Yeah. But we, we won. I mean, we, we, we emerged victorious in World War II, but the world was permanently and fundamentally changed. Yeah, but the other arguments like um, we beat Japan and the North beat the South in the United States Civil War. But when you consider economically speaking... In the long term, well, the South beat the North, economically speaking, in the Civil War, and Japan has beat the West in economically in World War II. In the long term. In the long term. Yes, yeah, rarely, I mean, history is rarely a cut and dried 
thing. Yes, don't mention these inconvenient facts. Yes, the inconvenient truths. Ah, that's another one. They had the guy demonstrating a, a new ebook, style of ebook interface, who's demoing it on an iPad and an iPhone. And just a wicked level of interoperability between the reader and all the stuff in the text. So if there was a picture, you could zoom into the picture, read the geolocation tag, which would take you to a satellite view of the actual area. If there's a video, you could pop open the video. It was very, very beautifully and tightly integrated. You could you know, pinch a photo, grab it, squeeze it together like it was actually a piece of paper, move it, and then lay it back out again. The interface design was very gorgeous and very intuitive. It was better if you can see it, you can interact with it, you can grab it, you can play the video. For example, up. there was a segment that had uh, windmills present, and if you blew into the microphone, the, wind the windmills turned faster. And drove the turbine that powered the house. And it, was, it was really cute, but it was just a proof of concept of here's a whole new level of interoperability between you know, uh, a, quote, printed material and the user leveraging the fact that you're reading it on a high-powered computing device. Um, so that one, as soon as that one shows up on the web, I'll be embedding it on the website because that one was a lot of fun. Just say no. No, no, I'm just going to say share. Fortuitous technology for technology's sake. If it gets people to read more, I'm all for it. I have to think about that one. The, the Kindle is gratuitous technology. I read more because of it. I don't, but I wish I would. You had you had a Kindle 1.0. You were early adopter. I, I told my family if they didn't get it for me for Christmas, I was disowning them. We rose to the challenge, but m most m too many of the books I want to get on Kindle do not are not released on the Kindle. Hmm. And Amazon has this page, you know, you know, click here to tell the publisher I want this book on Kindle. Yep. And I'm not aware of any of them. You know, actually sway being swayed by the opinions of us. It is a slow trend. The Luddites will be brought to heel, kicking, screaming, and wailing. Just look at the music industry and how they relate to iTunes now. Now, wait a minute. Okay. Uh, you're the one that pointed out that there are uh, DRM restrictions now on the monitors that we use at yes, TED. That's the MPAA, which is as bad as the RIAA. Yeah, I didn't so. say they, I, like I said, they're coming, kicking, screaming, and wailing, and clinging to the old way of doing things because it's all they know. But they're being forcibly brought into the new millennium because... I see more resistance than more acquiescing. I simply look at... Can you say that on TV? Can you say that? Horatio, can you say that on television? Um... Just iTunes as an example. We've gone from the we will sue you out of existence and no, you may not turn our music into MP3 files to you want fries with that? Uh, that's only sort of two. I, I, I'm familiar with somebody that jailbroke uh, an iPhone 4 uh, so they could get access to what's that uh, open source non-iTunes store I, or rather iPhone store? The app, the app store, yeah. Cydia. Yeah, Cydia, right, right. right. So you totally legal maybe legal but uh apple is kicking you know going kicking and streaming fi fighting exactly those sort of things yes uh, you know i well established my opinions on the apple walled garden approach it has much going for it if if all you want is a machine that 
works stably and reliably. Walled garden is perfect. With someone who is a gatekeeper who will figure out, okay, this is going to run well, not going to crash, not going to make the device look bad, but give me an option to opt out of that and take the risk. And right now I have to really know what I'm doing. That reminds me of the Rocky Horror Picture Show because it had a, when Brad and Janet get a flat tire and there's a sign up, you know, at the, you know, where they're going. It says, you know, enter at own risk. And what the crowd's supposed to say at that moment is risk it, risk, risk it. it, kick it twice. It'll reinflate. No, I kick, said twice, no, asshole. It's kick it three times <laughs> and it'll inflate and she only kicks it twice. I said three, three times, times, asshole. Brad, asshole. Janet, slut. If you don't know what we're talking about, need to see the Rocky Horror Picture Show at a at a, at a, at a, at a venue where they do it regularly. Yeah, and they do it upright. Rocky Bullwinkle. No, Rocky, Janet, Brad Bullwinkle. There's a couple of well-hung speakers. But I digress. Okay, let's wrap this up because we got a party to go to. Oh yeah, we have wrapped up our tour de force. IT provisioning of TED Active in Palm Springs. We encourage you to go check out TED.com, all the fine TED Talks and the increasingly uh, large number of talks that are being created there because they're doing an ever-expanding series of different conferences, TEDx. TEDx is starting to have a significant presence. Yeah, TEDx is the system whereby if you want to put on a TED of your own and you meet, as long as you meet the criteria, you can basically have the TED name and all they ask, one of the main things they ask is, send us the videos. And the really good ones get stuck up on TED.com for the world to enjoy. Um, yeah, one of my uh, good friends, uh, Michelle Jones, um, I met at TED India. Um, uh, she hosted a TEDx. You saw her name up on the screen today. And, right, and, they, and they, they mentioned them in the simulcast. And we are simulcasting to TEDx at Claremont College. You know? like, like, dude, I know her. Dude, I know her. <laughs> Yeah, so because the I mean, there've been a ridiculous number of TEDxes in the last year and a half, two years. Yeah, um, people um, people really like the talks, and they want to feel a sense of connection. Um, but there's a vetting process; you have to submit an application. Not everybody gets in, and you also have to pay, depending on uh, depending on whether or not you've done a TEDx or you're not. You know, you have to pay four to seven thousand dollars to get in. I mean, that's they want there to be a bar to entry because they don't want. Just any any old person slapping the TED name on something that may yeah. not be the greatest. So they, but they also have certainly not charged prohibitive amounts of money. If you're if you're doing a big yeah. enough organization where you think you're going to fill an auditorium, seven grand maybe not be that much to scrape together from local sponsors. Yeah. Little concerned about the some of the sponsors we're seeing. We were looking at some of the bigger names, saying Target, Walmart, Walmart General Electric, Shell. And all we hope is that the people who are in TED is that these people... They keep them at arm's length. Yeah, that they don't get a vote. That, yes, we will we will accept your donation. We will put your logo up... At the intermissions. At, at the intermissions and on signs around so people know that you are helping make this. But if you try to influence what we're doing... We hope... The door is to the left. The door is to the left. So if, if any of the organizers of the TED conferences are listening, and we know you are... Please maintain integrity and know that there's a huge queue forming outside the door of people who would love to sponsor TED and keep it free from influence from large corporations. There were some 
CEOs presenting this year, and, and it was uh, the, the CEO of PepsiCo presenting. And, and Chris said himself, he said, you know, sometimes it sounded like an advertisement for mm-hmm. Pepsi. In other moments, it sounded like uh, a forward-thinking uh, CEO that was concerned about things. And But the, the, the reception was definitely lukewarm. It was mixed, very mixed. Because there's, there's a, a, a feeling, in, again, the kind of person we attract to a TED, TED conference is usually pretty anti-corporate, at least a TED active. They Ted, tend to, they tend to be Democrats over Republicans. They tend to be liberal over conservative. And are very leery of the motivations of large corporations. So definitely when the CEO of PepsiCo, when she stepped on stage, everyone's like, hmm, and what do you have to say to us, young lady? And it was, you know, not the roaring, and it was a great presentation, and the program that they, she was talking about was a good program, but it's all a matter of, okay, you, yes, you're throwing us this bone of, yes, you sponsor these local uh, groups, is that just to distract us from the, the fact that you've got Pepsi machines or Coke machines in you the know, school in, full in of high fructose corn syrup yeah. with modified with enzymes that make kids fat? Yeah. And of course, you know, that's, that's a whole. So yes. the, the moral of the story is this might be a good example, but what's the broad picture? Right. What's the broad picture? And just we hope that the large scale sponsors do not exert an undue influence upon Ted because. Thus far in their existence, they've been a net positive force. Um, and we'd hate to see that change because we enjoy it and we like to share it with the world. With that, we the hell are going to go walk our way to a pizza party because, damn, I'm hungry. You have been listening to Alpha Geek Radio live on Versus the World Radio, VTWProductions.com. Visit us on the web. Check out all the fine shows there by clicking on the Shows tab. You will be glad that you did. What? Why are you laughing at me? They will be glad. We, we make good shit. Perhaps so, but it sounds just a tiny bit formula. I say this every week. And have, I could tell it was well scripted. And have been doing it for 162-odd-some episodes of Just Casually Hardcore. And never, by the and way, I'm listen noob. to Casually Hardcore, 4 p.m. Eastern Time, Sundays, <laughs> resuming this week. What? No! <laughs> Do it! And the, uh, the whole team should be there. We should have all five mics live on Sunday. This Sunday, 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 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, let's see, 9 p.m. GMT on a Sunday. Myself, Iolite, Grail, Daxa, and Gwenora will regale you with nerdy goings-on. It's just, you should do it. All the cool kids are. <sighs> I have been Gnomewise. I suppose I am Ted Hedster. And we are out of here.